Um, and it's so interesting because the more I find that I put on a front like I have it all together, um, the less honest my art becomes and then the less, therefore, people actually connect with it because people connect with vulnerability. And so, and nobody wants to see someone who seems like they uh, have all the answers. And so uh, that's something that God has been challenging me with lately is um, how to create and lead and serve from a position of vulnerability and weakness. Because in the end, um, the weaker I am, the more dependent I am on Christ. And um, the more that people can see that reflected in my own life, the more that they might see, oh, the places I'm weak, that's an opportunity for me to do the same. And I think uh, with poetry, it is an opportunity to be able to be totally vulnerable about what you're really thinking, (laughs) which is terrifying, um, but also refreshing. Today, we're on location in the beautiful city of Santa Monica, where we're talking with spoken word artist Rachel Hall about the writing process, faith, and the beauty of vulnerability and resting in the knowledge that we don't have to stress out on being more, but rather being grateful knowing that we are more than enough. We have a great one for you today. Let's get at it. Welcome to the Breathe Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and creativity. We interview artists from all walks of life to discover how faith plays a role in their art and expression, hoping to encourage you to live a life of creativity and faith. And now, your host, poet, writer, and pastor, Derek Encore. Yep, yep. Welcome back to the Breathe Faith and Creativity Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Before we get into the broadcasts today, if you haven't already done so, please visit our Patreon page and show your support for the Breathe podcast like most shows we are listeners supported so if you go on to the patreon page you'll see many different levels of support and as little as one dollar yep that's right one dollar a month you along with the greater community can keep this podcast going to cover some of the costs that go into making this possible so if you go on there would really appreciate the love and the support um, and so head on over there. Also, please rate and review this podcast. I love sitting there reading your reviews. It helps to create more content. And if you have any ideas and questions that you want asked and topics covered over the past, the next few months, let us know and we'll make sure we'll try to bring that to fruition. All right. Today, uh, we have an amazing broadcast lined up. We have a fellow poet on the show, or I should say poetess on the show. Um, I had the honor and privilege of meeting her this past year through a mutual friend, such a great soul, a great human being. She's an amazing writer and wonderful spoken word performer. Ladies and gentlemen, LA's very own Rachel Hall. Rachel, welcome to the show and thanks for being on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, for those who may not be familiar with your work. I know I mentioned that, you know, you're LA's own, but you're not originally from LA. So why don't you... Um, let us know a little bit, kind of, this is your bio moment to talk yourself up. Let us know, again, where you're from, where you've been, what makes you tick, what gets you up in the morning, and then maybe talk about your faith background a little bit um, and how perhaps uh, you came to embrace your faith and then kind of segue into poetry a little bit and how you came to um, embrace that as well. Sure. It's a lot of points. I'll try and hit it all. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I was born in Texas, actually, Houston, and um, was raised in a Christian home out there. 
um, grew up a Christian, uh, but probably started taking my faith more seriously into high school and college. Uh, I've actually moved out to Los Angeles six years ago and um, to work in the entertainment industry, originally with acting, and then since then have sort of pivoted into the writing space, specifically with more spoken word stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think um, writing for me has been a really cool way to get to pair uh, my faith and express my faith with a creative bent. And um, I've experienced it coming alive in some fresh ways as I've continued to pursue writing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's been something that's been really cool for me. But um, yeah, living in LA for the last six years with my husband, Grant, and um, we really like it out here. I love being by the beach, but yeah, I still have those Texas roots. Yeah. So I don't want to be presumptuous or anything like that, but can you paint a picture uh, between the differences of Texas and LA? And perhaps yeah. <laughs> maybe some, because I, I just imagine there are a bunch of differences. Uh, maybe share some things you miss about home, uh, but then at the same time, maybe share some things that you really enjoy about LA. Yeah, that is a great question. It is. It was definitely a culture shock coming yeah. out here because it's totally different. Um, you kind of go from Bible Belt community, um, everyone at least for the most part is a Christian in name or by association, or at least has some understanding of what Christianity is to LA where, um, it's not the norm at all. And, um, it almost feels like you're contrary to the culture to even just say you have a faith at all. Um, yeah, but, uh, I think one thing that I really enjoy about Texas is it's a little bit more slow. It's a little more laid back. Um, there's a little bit more of an emphasis on, um, finding identity through family and friends and community. And in L.A., it's much more, at least from my experience being in the entertainment industry, it's a little bit more focused on um, identity through uh, what you're producing and how people are perceiving you. And um, it's much more fast-paced as a result of that because everyone's hustling, trying to get that next thing. Um, So I think just that pace of life is something that really um, was a culture shift for me whenever I came out here. So do you find it harder Perhaps now that you've been in L.A. for about six years, is it harder to live out your faith here than it was in Texas? I think it's just different. Mm. Um, I think in some ways it is because it's not as natural part of the uh, cultural dialogue. Um, So if you're talking about living out the faith as far as being able to speak about it as regularly and openly, um, that's definitely a shift in the dynamic. But it has challenged me to take my faith more seriously and to really know why I believe what I believe. Um, and so in that way, it's actually helped my faith to grow because um, when I'm in situations where maybe I'm the only Christian or I'm the only one coming at um, a situation from that perspective, um, it really challenges me to know um, why I am... Okay, it really challenges... <laughs> Sorry, if you didn't hear that. So really quickly before you continue, and for those of you listening, we're actually on location. We're here in Santa Monica, and that's the beauty that I love about traveling podcasts is we get to go to some very amazing locations. And we're actually here at your church, right? Risen. Yeah, Risen Church Westside. Yeah, and, and I'm looking out the window, and they got this construction site going. So if that's what you hear, it's okay. It's on purpose. Sweet. I was like, what is that? Is that a car wreck happening? Like, should we be alarmed? Um, yeah, lost my train of thought a little bit, but I think we were talking about living out your faith. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so it just it challenges me to know why I'm believing what I'm believing, and um, in that way, I think it forces me to go a little bit deeper. Um, so in that sense, it's actually been better. So 
I mentioned we are here at your church. Can you talk a little bit about your church and yeah. however you want to talk up your church? For those <laughs> in the Santa Monica area looking for a church as well, but just kind of give us the lowdown about sure. um, your, your place here. Yeah, so um, I go to Risen Church West Side here in Santa Monica, and uh, I've been going here for about five years. And I think the thing that really drew me to it is it's a smaller community, and so in a city that feels so big that it's easy to just sort of get lost in in the sea of people. It was a smaller community to be grounded in and to be able to find that community much more quickly. And um, they do a really good job of preaching the truth, but mm-hmm. in total love. And I find um, that that is sometimes a really difficult balance to strike. Um, I think it can often be in churches where we stay so um, about the, you know, just trying to make everyone feel good yeah. that we miss some of the depth that comes with really diving into truth. And then sometimes we dive so much into the truth that we forget to remind people how loved they are right where they are. And um, I found that Risen does a really good job of marrying those two. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that has kept me here for five years. That's good. So you move here from Texas. And so how did you get you and your husband find Risen? Was it through a mutual through friend? Through a mutual friend. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A girl that I went to college with uh, went here. And so that's how we were able to plug in and get connected. Okay. And so for those of, maybe for those in the Santa Monica area, what are your service times? Maybe where are you located? Yeah, we're located um, on Colorado Avenue in Santa Monica. And if you just do a quick Google search for Risen Church West Side, we're the first thing that comes up. So pretty easy to find. And service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Cool. So if you are in Santa Monica or in just this greater uh, area uh, altogether, if you're looking for a church, come out to Risen um, and they will welcome you with open arms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So let's kind of shift to poetry a little bit. Uh, Could you, so as a poet myself, I I have my own writing process and I know that as diverse as poets are, everyone's writing process is different. Can you unpack a little bit what your writing process is like? Yeah. So, um, Every, yeah, every process is a little bit different, and it's kind of almost hard to nail down a little bit of what it is because it, it does shift and change. But usually what will happen is, especially, let's say, if it's for spoken word, I'll be walking or driving in my car, usually doing some activity, and for whatever reason, a line will come to me, and I'll just pop out my iPhone and jot it in. And then um, at a time when I have more time, I'll sit down and maybe take an hour and just kind of use that as a starting place for inspiration and kind of just try and write through for about an hour. And that usually gives me a pretty solid, um, rough draft. And then from that point, I, uh, will usually wait a few days and then come back to it so that I have a little bit of those fresh eyes looking at it again and, um, make any tweaks. I feel like I need to usually involves a lot of cutting of things that don't quite fit. Um, and then, uh, after I do that in a few waves, um, I have a couple close friends that are also creative people. Uh, one's actually a singer and one's an actor and we are sort of each other's little sounding boards. And yeah. so, um, a lot of times I'll use them as that first filter to get feedback on, uh, cause sometimes something sounds great in my head and then yeah. someone else is like, I have no idea what you were trying to say here. Um, and so it's really helpful to be able to get that, uh, feedback before then going on to try and record it or put it out in the world somewhere. Yeah. Well, that speaks to trust, right? Because me, I, I don't trust people enough to, to do that. So I think that's great that you have that. And, you know, I, when I took my English classes and writing classes in college, that, that was, that was um, suggested that we do have a group of people um, to kind of mm. bounce ideas off of. Uh, but I never went down just because I guess I'm more selfish. But I think that's great that you're able to do that. Um, how is that dynamic, though? Is it usually just, hey, I'm going to send you via email or, or 
I mean, are you sitting in front of them, reciting it to them? How does, how does that, can you paint that picture of what that looks like? Yeah. So it just varies and I don't do it every single time, but, um, for example, um, just last week we got together and I said, Hey guys, like I have some new stuff and I would love your feedback on it. And so they like sat down and I went through, I think it was like four different pieces and they're so gracious to do that. Cause that takes a while. Yeah. Um, and so we would just kind of pause between each one and they would give me their initial reactions. You know, if there was something I said that took them out of the piece or something that like, um, they wish I would have paused on longer or anything that caused confusion. It's not so much that line by line edit as it is, Oh, you said this thing and, and you lost me. Yeah. Um, just cause that's really helpful for me to know. Yeah. Good. Um, so you have a poem, mm-hmm. uh, called enough and I think it's a wonderful piece in that it's raw, it's honest, uh, especially in a society. And you talked about the fast pace of LA and we live in a society where success is mainly driven by our ability to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't perform well, then our entire existence is questioned, right? And so can you talk a little bit about that piece and perhaps unpack the power of understanding that we are enough just the way we are? Um, and the spinning, perhaps the, 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 the spinning of the wheels of success may not be the most healthiest of rhythms in our lives. If I could slow the world still, stop it in its tracks, like stop motion freeze frame, perhaps then I could breathe. Perhaps then the weight that sits on shoulders, concrete on flesh, anchor on soul would pause long enough for me to see his face. But I have no stopwatch time turner magic, so I whirl fast, heavy heart spinning hurricane winds till the noise deafens the quiet whisper, and all I hear in my inner ear is that this still is not enough. If I'm not doing great cosmic things, exercise, demonstrations of faith, am I doing enough as a Christian? Surely when God saved me, he then wanted me to save the world. And if I'm not exerting till I am thinnest of string, donning Wonder Woman cape while pinning lines on my resume, am I even enough? And the winds whirl fast, wearing string, fiber by fiber, till exhausted, I question why. This lie that tells me to be more begs me to be savior instead of wanting the savior, demands accomplishments to hang like trophies on barren walls till my soul runs dry. Could it be the greatest action my life will complete is finding enjoyment in the presence of a holy God? Yeah, totally. Thank you. Yeah, I I think I wrote that poem definitely out of that place of what we were just talking about, which is noticing the importance um, that people were placing around me on productivity and output and um, what what people would define as success, and then internalizing that pressure to the point where um, it was becoming my identity. And um, that's just what I I have realized is just not sustainable, and especially as someone who's pursuing a life that of faith, right? It, it's misplacing what that core identity should be. Um, I think as there's so much beauty in being able to steward our gifts for the world and um, using them to the best of our ability, which means working really hard, but that the fine line is then internalizing that to the point where um, our identity and our self-worth is tied up into the quote-unquote success or failure of whatever we're working on. And I think I just began to see, you know, you go to a party or something in LA and, and the first thing someone asks you after your name is what do you do? And so it becomes that identifier. Right. Right. And, um, as much as I would realize I was liking to say, Oh no, 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 my identity is in Christ. And like, 
that's, you know, that's who I am. And it doesn't matter what happens with all this other stuff. Still, I was seeing in my actions that that wasn't true. And so this piece was sort of a reminder to me to make that true for my life and to stay rooted in that so that no matter what happens, success or failure wise, I'm not going to be destroyed either way, right? Either with something going really well or with something not going well, um, because I'm immovable. Yeah. So in that context, thinking back to when you wrote the piece or perhaps a reflection of the life of busyness, right? One of the, I, I think one of the biggest commandments that most Christians, pastors, leaders break is the commandment to Sabbath, mm-hmm. to rest. So did you find yourself in moments like that, especially when you first moved to LA, did you find it hard to rest? Did you find it hard to Sabbath well um, in the midst of the busyness of trying to, I guess, be successful or trying to find your identity here in LA? Yeah, I think it's actually become harder the longer I've been here. Mm. So it wasn't so much when I first got here, but even just in the last year, I've noticed just this level of hustle, right? Where you feel like you're having to try and keep up with everyone around you, um, where it feels like to, to take a day or a weekend to, even if I'm not actively working to internally allow myself to disengage feels like it has to be an intentional choice because it doesn't happen naturally. Um, someone recently pointed out to me that essentially this side of heaven, our work is never going to be done. (laughs) There's always going to be things you're doing. And especially as someone in a creative field, there is just always more to do. Um, But I think that that is that invitation to continually put our identity back in Christ, because if my identity is really in him, then I have that freedom to rest without worrying about missing out on something or not hustling as hard as the next person. Yeah. And so a follow-up to that with the whole premise of your piece enough, um, how does your faith, uh, well, let me back it up a little bit. Understanding that we are enough in, in the sense of who we are, right? I have this line in one of my poems is be the best version of yourself, hmm. right? And not trying to be someone else, not trying to be the next person, but just yeah. understanding who you are in God. Um, how, does, how does perhaps having the mentality that we are enough how does that mesh with understanding our relationship with God and knowing that God thinks we're enough, you know, or knows that we're enough? We don't have to be more. How, how does that play into it? Cause I know that your piece doesn't just focus on we are enough in the, in the context of busyness in life, but there is the spiritual aspect to it as well. Can you, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the being enough is recognizing that we actually are not enough except for Christ. So um, that's where that striving element gets removed because um, I know that I actually am not worthy of Christ's love. I'm not worthy of um, the relationship he wants to have. But because he has chosen to enter in and to put himself in a position where we can have that relationship, that's the qualifier. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that the more that I can lean into that and understand that um, I I can stop striving to be enough because I was never enough to begin with. Mm. I'm only enough because he has chosen me. And um, there is a great freedom in that because then... It doesn't matter what I'm doing, and it sort of takes that physical productivity element out of it, um, even in regards to trying to please God with good actions or my faith, Um, because at the end of the day, there's nothing I could do that's good enough to warrant that. And so um, I think the more I can just rest in focusing on what He's done for me instead of what I'm trying to do for Him, 
that I'm able to keep that uh, right focus and um, secure that identity that's that's found in him apart from what I'm doing. That's good. That's good. So we have entire books in the Bible, right? In the Psalms, Lamentations, for example, where these authors are, they're bluntly honest in their interactions with God, right? They're, they they divulge their heart's cries, their, their frustrations, their anger toward life and even toward God at times. Um, and we tend not to hold things back as poets. As poets, we... I have a friend who has this line where he says, poets cannot lie. And, mm. and my interpretation of that is that, look, we're not up here to put on a, a fake or a fictitious story. We're just telling our lives. And yeah, we might use similes, metaphors, allegory, but this is our true selves. Yeah. We're bluntly honest. And sometimes, not all the time, but many times I find that in Christianity, there's this pressure to put on the Sunday smile all the time, mm. right? The, 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 these masks that portray that we're all together. Um, and, and, you know, as if perhaps we can't live a life of honesty, and I don't know if you've experienced that in your community, you said that this community here is more small knit and more maybe family oriented. So maybe, maybe your experience is different, but with my experience, I see a lot of people just trying to paint themselves into this perfect picture so that people, um, can look at them in a way that's positive. Can you speak to perhaps I don't even know what, what, how I want to ask this, but can you perhaps speak to maybe even the freedom in living an honest life without having to paint yourself all the time? Yes. Yeah. That's so interesting that you asked that. I, I definitely see that resonating um, both inside the church and outside the church really. Um, and it's so interesting because the more I find that I, put on a front like I have it all together, yeah. um, the less honest my art becomes mm. and then the less, therefore, people actually connect with it wow. because people connect with vulnerability. Yeah. And so, and nobody wants to see someone who seems like they uh, have all the answers. And so uh, that's something that God has been challenging me with lately is um, how to create and lead and serve from a position of vulnerability and weakness yeah. because in the end, um, the weaker I am, the more dependent I am on Christ. And um, the more that people can see that reflected in my own life, the more that they might see, oh, the places I'm weak, that's an opportunity for me to do the same. And I think uh, with poetry, it is an opportunity to be able to be totally vulnerable about what you're really thinking, (laughs) which is terrifying, um, but also refreshing because we live in a world where people are so um, concerned with crafting an image on social media and Instagram. And, you know, everyone is so concerned with being seen in a certain light. And the reality is none of us has it all together. And so it's um, an opportunity to connect with people in a way that is real and honest and say, Hey, look, I don't have it together. This is what I'm really thinking. This is what, what I'm really struggling with. And if you're experiencing this too, then you know, you're not alone. Yeah. How, so sticking on that kind of stream of thought, how, how would you say, you know, when we try to put on the smile, when we try to put on the painted faces, how has that damaged the message of Jesus? I think it's totally contrary to the mm. message of Jesus yeah. because what he did when he came was seek the people who were honest about needing him yeah. and who um, didn't want to have their own pride get in the way of being able to be met in their greatest need. 
And so he kind of doesn't have time for people yeah, that are like, right. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, look, I'm super religious and look at all the good things I do. He's like, cool. Um, you're missing the point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, none of us is that supposed to be that person. Um, yeah. So I, I think if we can't tap into that willingness to be humble enough to admit one, our need for a savior and two, our need for community, mm-hmm. then um, we're sort of missing the boat on what it's supposed to be to live an authentic Christian life. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, speaking of Jesus. So right. And John, he captures the incarnation in a, perhaps a poetic way. Like I, for some reason, so John is my favorite gospel writer and I just imagine him hanging out at the coffee shops and doing some spoken word. But he he, he mm. beautifully illustrates Jesus incarnate in that he says in the beginning was a word and the word was with God, the word was God. And then later on he says, you know, the word became flesh. Um, and so, of course, as a poet, you know, words are very important. Um, can you perhaps speak to the importance of the words that we use uh, toward one another? And it, it kind of kind of piggybacks on this whole image thing, especially here in not just LA, because I think it's becoming just a worldwide thing where we try to put up these fronts. Um, how are words important in that either they can tear us down, they can bring healing from that perspective because words are powerful. Now look at mm-hmm. God. I mean, for him to speak and life came into existence, I mean, it's powerful, right? And so with us as image bearers of God, how important are our words that we use um, in, in our ongoings of life and even in our relationships with one another? That's a great question. I think they're so important. I mean, Scripture talks about how with our words we can build one another up or with our words we can tear one another down. Yeah. And um, sort of the dichotomy between the ways that we on Sunday can be praising God on <laughs> in our worship service yeah. and then turn around and curse someone out who cuts us off in the street. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy that, that we can flip that quickly between the ways that we choose to use our words, but I think it is a very human thing. Uh-huh. And um, I think what we have with words is an opportunity to steward them well and be that through poetry, be it through encouragement, the ways that we have conversation, words just matter. And, um, I mean, I I think about words that people have said over me in my life, both good and bad, and they just stick. And I mean, I can be 10 years removed from a conversation and the right situation comes up and all of a sudden I'm right back there and I have that phrase that I'm hanging on to. And there's just such a power there. Um, but then on the flip side, there's a power, a power there to speak life with them. Right. Like to your, to your point, um, I think what poetry does, and one of the reasons I love it so much, is there's no way to rush poetry. It yep. is a slow art I form. That. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and so um, it is an opportunity to heal sometimes when you're, when you're able to slow long enough to um, hear your own thoughts. And what poetry does is it gives you, hey, here's five minutes where you can't speak and you can't do anything fast, and you just have to listen and absorb and see what connects or resonates. And sometimes there's just one phrase that might stand out to you that you tuck in your back pocket that then when you're driving home, you know, God begins to work on that with, with your heart um, through that one line because you were still enough to actually be able to hear it. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I think um, that's one of the, the ways that I've seen poetry be healing in my own life is it's really amazing how sometimes just one word or phrase will just stand out in such a way where since I've been quiet enough to hear it, um, God can then begin to use it. Yeah. So what would you say to the person listening who's not a poet? Yeah. And how would you encourage them? Because right, words, you know, 
short of the writer's block that we sometimes get, but words generally come to us and we're able to formulate our phrases relatively easy in the poetry sphere. But what about the person out there who's not a poet? How would you encourage that person to, to kind of formulate their words to bring life to other people? Mm. Yeah, I think it comes down to, are you using your words to build people up? Yeah. And uh, when you're in a conversation, especially a hard conversation or with someone who's annoying at work or like yeah. when your kids are on their la- your last nerve, like in that moment, what does it look like to cultivate a practice of pausing long enough to think mm. before you speak? Yeah. And then when you speak, choosing to speak in a way where it places honor and value on the other person instead of um, tearing them down or expressing your own frustration in that moment. Yeah. And that requires intentionality, right? 100%. And it's a discipline, yeah. right? I mean, like I, I say all this stuff and I like to think that I'm, <laughs> I do that, but yeah. you know, I'm human and there are times that I do not. Um, but I think that that is the continual opportunity for growth is how can we pause long enough throughout our day to make intentional choices that are building one another up both in word and in deed. Yeah. So you mentioned poetry can't be rushed, but you also talked about the, the healing process or there's, there's, mm-hmm. There's healing in the process for anyone um, when it comes to waiting. And so the waiting process, there's, there's, there's healing in that. So you recently wrote a blog article on why waiting is hard, and it is, right? But perseverance yields amazing results, and you and I both know that. Can you unpack your thoughts on that article a little bit and maybe just talk to, to, to that, the whole waiting process and the importance of that? Yeah. Waiting is hard. Yeah? <laughs> and um, I wrote that article because I have had so many conversations with friends and just thinking about things in my own life where it seems like we're always waiting on God for something or we're waiting on that job offer to come through or we're waiting on that guy to finally ask us out or we're waiting on, you know, X, Y, or Z, the list goes on and on. And waiting drives me crazy. And I think it probably is hard for the average person too. Um, And so the question is, how do you wait well? Mm. And when you're waiting, how do you trust that whatever the outcome is, whether or not it aligns with what you actually want, is God still good? Mm. And um, I think that's that's my ongoing challenge is to all the things that I'm waiting on in my own life to say, you know what, I'm waiting on X to happen, but if it doesn't, is God still good? Yeah. And what does it look like to be patient and persevere, knowing that the outcome may or may not look exactly like what I had hoped? How about from, so stick with the whole process of waiting and perhaps maybe those listening who don't have a relationship with God. And, you know, for you and I who are Christian, you know, we love Jesus, but maybe the one person out there who maybe they're Hindu or maybe they're, they're, they're Muslim. And how does waiting, how can can you speak to that? The importance of waiting outside the context of Mm -hmm. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Um, But yeah. I think waiting in any context is an opportunity to practice patience Mm -hmm. and um, to be able to still your own desire long enough to see what the bigger picture might be. Um, So I think no matter what your faith background is or no matter whether or not you even have a faith background, um, I think when we wait, we challenge ourselves to delay our Mm -hmm. self-gratification. And through that process, we become more mature humans because we are having to, um, yeah, practice that patience, practice that forethought, practice, um, being contented and grateful and, um, 
okay with whatever happens next. Um, And there's something to be said for being able to be someone who um, is able to maintain a level of gratitude and joy despite their circumstances and despite whether or not they're getting something that they want right then. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, So circling back to poetry, maybe someone out there is just getting into it. Um, how long have you been writing and performing? Um, I'd say about three or four years. Okay. So, so relatively new. And maybe there is that newbie out there who is afraid to rip the bandaid off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to that person as word, as a word of encouragement on just getting in there and just, yeah, just what would you say? Any words of advice to the new poet out there trying to kind of emerge? Do it scared. <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? I mean that uh, you're never not going to be scared, so just do it anyway. Um, right. I remember the first time I performed live, I was terrified, <sighs> um, right? Because you, you've written this thing, and it's like your baby, and you're putting it out into the world, and you have no idea how people are going to respond, and it feels so vulnerable, and just like you're so outside your own skin. Um, but there's no way to get past that if you don't just do it. Yeah. And so I think you have to get to this point where you can't not share it anymore. Yeah. Um, because that's the beauty of writing poetry is the connection that you get to experience with an audience. And you don't know, you might share it with 50 people and one person was the person who needed to hear it. Yeah. And, and that's great, you yeah. know? So I would say just, just sign yourself up, <laughs> get a few close friends who can kind of push you on the stage as need be and just do it scared because, um, it's the payoff is so worth it. That's so good. So we've talked a lot about life. We talked about faith. We talked about waiting. We talked about poetry. Um, as we wrap things up, is there any last minute thoughts you want to share? And this is kind of like the free form where you can just maybe touch that. Like you talked about touching that one person who needs to hear something. Is there anything that, and it doesn't have to be anything specific, anything that maybe last minute words of advice or encouragement or anything you want to share before we wrap things up today? think (laughs) that's a big question yeah um i think i would just reiterate that the opportunity that christ gives us is to continually find our identity in him instead Mm -hmm. of what we're doing and i think that's something that we hear over and over and over again um in church if you're someone who goes to church um and maybe not as often if you're not somebody who does but i just want to express the freedom that is there and when you choose to um make your life about growing your relationship with God instead of growing your following, growing your platform, growing whatever success looks like in your industry. Um, Not that those things aren't important, but they become secondary to the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a richer, fuller life. And so if you're somebody who has never maybe asked those questions about faith, um, I would just encourage you to kind of, like we were talking about, get in that stillness, give yourself the time and space to be quiet enough to to ask yourself the questions about God that maybe you'd have never asked and the questions about yourself and your own spiritual journey that you've um, maybe been putting off because those are some of the most important questions you'll ever ask in your life and they'll dictate where you go from there. That's so good. Thank you so much. Um, so we've been doing this thing with all the interviews, uh, we've been doing this thing called Lightning Round. Uh, you down to play a little bit? Sure. All right, here we go. So I'm just going to give you two choices, uh, and I just need you to respond. First initial thoughts, no thinking to it, just kind of respond. Is that cool? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so here we go. Red or blue? Red. Black or white? Black. 
Coffee iced or hot? Hot. Starbucks or coffee bean? Starbucks. Haiku or sonnet? Haiku. End rhyme or internal rhyme? Internal rhyme. Santa Monica or Culver City? Santa Monica. Worship style, both hands raised or one hand partly up? One hand partly up. (laughs) (laughs) Old Testament or New Testament? Uh, New Testament. Gospel of John or Gospel of Matthew? Matthew. Pen or pencil? Pen. Boom. There it is. Lightning round. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for playing, Rachel. And thank you so much for your time. Uh, Really appreciate it. Really quickly, uh, tell us how we can find you on social media and support what you're doing in the community. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm Rachel Hall Poetry on Instagram. And if you want to check out some spoken word, um, you can check out my website and blog, which is also www.rachelhallpoetry.com. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, and Mrs. Rachel Hall. Make sure you check her out on social media and her website to support her work. And please, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. Also, again, go to the Patreon page and support us uh, to keep this podcast going. And until next time, be the light, extend your hand in love, and make peace with someone this upcoming week. Stay blessed, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.